Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact and donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each Tuesday. Previous guests on the show have included Kath Livesey, Rich Robinson, and Alan Hirsch. You could go back, listen to those episodes, and more. But today's guests are Simon and Carrie Harris. Alongside nearly 30 years in local church leadership at Burlington Church in Ipswich, England, Carrie and Simon work with Catalyze Change and the 5Q Collective, training and coaching leaders in churches in releasing missional disciples and helping tap into the latent potential that exists in the church through a rediscovery of the gift of APEST. I had a great time having a conversation with a married couple that leads together. Since my wife and I do that as well, it was a great conversation. Um, you are going to enjoy it. There are plenty of gems in this episode. So get out your notebook, take some notes, and here is Simon and Carrie. Yeah, Simon Carrie, thank you for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Have a great conversation. Excited yeah. 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 It's great to have both of you here and both of you on. You know, my wife and I actually co-lead our mission agency together. And so we're uh, both executive directors. And so we are do we do a lot of uh, leading together, but we also do a lot of uh, life together, right? Co-parenting and we do do it all. Um, and so w- what did that journey for you to be able to start to 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 live together, to work together and lead together. What is that like? How is that journey? Well, it's a good job we like each other, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mar- marry your best friend and work with your best friend is probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, yes, yeah, sorry. No, I think one of the things that that's absolutely true. I think at the basis of our relationship is that sense of friendship and that sense of being called to a shared adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's that's the exciting sweet spot that that together in in the adventure of growing together and that takes effort and challenge and beauty and all of that over the years doesn't it but that that sense of depth that you get with one another then leads into a life of uh, of deeper leadership deeper influence and so on and so we we super appreciate that in each other mm. and we were we were childhood sweethearts who kind of met really young and immediately knew we'd kind of that was it for us and always felt a call to kind of uh, do work together and do things together and 
I think what we realized really early on was we always reached the same conclusions. We just got there in different ways. And so yeah. actually really early on discovering that the way that we kind of, uh, what we both bring to the table is where, you know, what where one is weak, the other strong, I think is, has been mm. really helpful for us. And so we've done that. So, um, so we've got loads of shared work we have together. We've also got separate work we do, which I yeah. think is really interesting because it sharpens both of us. And yeah, we've got four kids. So co-parenting has always been the thing we've done. So you've yeah. got, you've got to have, you have to have each other's backs when you're parenting four kids, right? Definitely. <laughs> so, Definitely. Uh, yeah. yeah Favourite occupation as they're growing up, isn't it? Is to see whether you'll stick to the same message if you're yeah, not aware of sure. what's of what what one parent what one parent has been has been asked and uh, uh, it just popped up on our um, on our Facebook feed or at least on my Facebook feed today is memories of a of time we spent together some years ago now when it was kind of the first time we were able to release ourselves and disentangle ourselves from the kids that were growing up being with mm. them had always been such a high priority and uh, spent some time together and we know do you know what we can we can do it together without them now as well you know yeah, <laughs> we can good. do it with them and we can do without them and that was uh, super reassuring not that we doubted it but you know what i mean a super beautiful that uh, yeah. as the future opens up in different ways it's just all different seasons and enjoying each season has been has been really important actually to lean into yeah. the season that you're in with the family mm. with the children and so on and as they grow up and, and mm. fly the nest a little bit and come back as the case is for some of them at the minute to to, to really embrace the season and be grateful for what god's doing in all mm. of it but also i think as well with the kids having them part of the journey of what we do has always been really essential that we kind of we've always traveled as a pack and i yeah. think that's been really essential for them to see and be part of what we do but actually to be able to own it and find space for themselves within it and find who that they are within it and that's always been mm. really important to us to kind of to do that slower and harder but important <laughs> yes yes so let's uh, as you're looking at your shared adventure together your yeah. journey give us a little context of where you're at um and what that journey in ministry looked like Sure. So um, we came to uh, Ipswich, which was the we, we grew up in South Wales, so the the west part of uh, uh, of Great Britain, the United Kingdom, and moved as far as we could to the other side without getting wet, as uh, mission missionaries from Wales to to England almost thirty years ago. Great um, rivalry between Wales and England. Wales yeah. feeling very downtrodden, you know, by the English people. So we came as sacrificial missionaries <laughs> to the English. So. With, with, with probably a sense of superiority, having grown up in an era when Welsh rugby ruled the world, and, uh, yeah. and uh, it's no longer quite the case. Sure. So we had a we had an inflated sense of our own importance. Um, as a cut, yeah. <laughs> but came to it, which is just kind of just uh, an hour outside London, north of London, towards the coast, and uh, uh, called to a church that was in the centre of town. And uh, so we've journeyed there in ministry for, for, as I say, nearly thirty years. And perhaps that's some of the journey that we'll uh, that we'll share. And as and as part of that, more recently, we've spun out into different kind of areas of of coaching and leadership and ministry mm -hmm. and so on. Uh, working with Catalyze Change, for example, helping churches and uh, uh, kind of face the frontier of uh, uh, of moving into missional discipleship and and so on, and uh, perhaps Carrie can say a little bit about some of the things that she's moved that into as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, kind of co-adventure of, of leading a church, uh, which 
I regularly do say to God, I don't think church leadership is a sensible job for a grown-up, but, you know, yeah. it's the place God's <laughs> called us, and uh, we're, we are passionate believers in the church. Alongside that, I'm an executive coach, so I uh, work both in the marketplace and uh, and in the Christian world as well, around coaching and culture change, leadership development. Um, I head up Accessible Prophecy uh, UK, which is kind of a global prophecy organisation that's come out of the five part of the five Q family, and we both do a lot of stuff around five Q as well. So really, anything around coaching, leadership development, culture change, and setting up new businesses. Those are the kind of spaces we tend to hang out in. Fun, yeah. That yeah. sets up uh, really well for a good conversation here, and. You know, I'd love to hear your journey with your church of moving probably toward from a, you know, a pastor centric uh, church into some missional discipleship. Um, And what did that change look like for you and how did that come about? Sure. So um, we came to, as you say, what was a super pastor centric environment, uh, a large town centered church that had never known what it had been to be anything but large and full of its own importance. That was the mm. kind of uh, kind of atmosphere, spiritual atmosphere about it. It just always had the privilege or the joy of being big. And what I mean by big is lots of people being present on a, on a Sunday. And so in that sense, it was a, it was a preaching center and uh, uh, the high point of the week was the, was the sermon. And that, and that was the, and that kind of suited us in a way because it was the kind of ministry that we'd been trained for and understood from our uh, training and background. And, uh, but also right at the beginning, we could see the fundamental flaw that was taking place, which was a, a very elderly static congregation. And we began in those early days to talk about the need to significantly change what was happening because you didn't need to be a futurologist to realize that this church that thought it could never be anything but big mm-hmm. would soon disappear unless something very fundamental happened. Mm. So then we began, you know, changing, changing a few things and perhaps, you know, Carrie, do you want us to share a few of those things that we started to change and, and push into? Yeah. And I think it, it was easy from the perspective of it was kind of, you know, almost like a flat pack Baptist church then of, of what you would expect at most yeah. Baptist churches up and down the land to go, well, there's some things we can, we can alter, we can make sure the welcome is improved, right? So, you know, if you're going to, if you're new to church, you need a really great welcome and that wasn't necessarily there in the, the way you'd want it to be. We, we made sure that the music moved uh, just into uh, a slightly different century probably uh, but was moving much more with uh, kind of stuff that we would have um, been used to growing up with rather than sort of just him sandwich we were transitioning into pushing out in the music more pushing into the uh, worship uh, teaching style we we kind of tried to mess around with the teaching and uh, I would run courses, we would run things like Purpose Driven Church and things about your ministry. And I think what that did, just those initial changes, is it it laid, led to a change in the demographic of our church. Mm. It started to attract a different age group, which is great, but actually in full kingdom impact, 
we didn't see as much change. And that for us was a, a really deep, frustrating yeah. uh, place to be, actually, that, you know, it looked outwardly great. But did it reach the least, the last, the lost? I yeah. would have to say no mm. <laughs> in that moment. And so we, whilst we were growing in numbers, I think we would argue we were growing in frustration. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, we're we're always a little frustrated uh, with that when we're trying to make uh, and we make a lot of internal changes to make yeah. things look better, to sound better. Um, but really, the place where we could get people to actually embrace uh, being uncomfortable and going towards the margins and the neglected is really yeah. it's it's a hard change to make, um, especially when you're providing everything for somebody to be comfortable, right? Yeah. How yeah. how could how did you get to a place where people would be okay with feeling uncomfortable and moving out <laughs> a little bit? Well, that's the, well, that's the irony, <laughs> kind of the irony of it, yeah. isn't it? That at the mo at the at the, those moments that we'd made people most comfortable, we were feeling the least comfortable mm. about yeah. the impact that it was producing, and uh, uh, and I can remember asking people to think about the number of people that had come to faith over the last 12 months. You know, there's hundreds of us that gather on a Sunday. How many people have found faith over this last year? And of course, people people struggle to name somebody, yeah. you know, anybody, please. There must be somebody, you know. <laughs> yeah. So and, and, and you think, you know, um, so that huge frustration was building. And I guess there were there were two things for us at that point. Either we are doing the right thing and Jesus is Lord, so we're going to keep doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Yeah. And one day it'll become good. Or you have to trust God for the results anyway. Or actually, we're not quite as closely aligned to Jesus in his way as yeah. we thought we as we thought we were. And, and, and the moment that we opened the window on the possibility that everything we've been schooled and trained in and learned and experienced as children growing up in churches and so on, we'd always been part of church life. Everything we've been schooled and learned and taught in wasn't perhaps the way of Jesus in the way that we had absorbed, opened up a whole new layer of possibilities and conversations and, uh, and suddenly you found yourself, just as God does with his spirit, uh, opening up all kinds of relationships with people leaders and yeah. so they were asking exactly those same questions maybe this isn't exactly the model that jesus gave us mm. and, and i mean it's almost it's almost laughable now isn't it as we're you know a couple of decades on but it, but that's that's where i think so many people were and maybe some of us yeah. still are as we're wrestling with it that this isn't quite the model in fact this is very far away from the model that jesus gave us mm. and so we we kind of press the pause button and we called the day launch the lifeboats which was all about well i think it but i think it started before that didn't it for us you know we're going oh, on sabbatical yeah, on, talk, talk, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah so we were that. we were going on sabbatical and everyone was patting us on the back in that sense you must be so proud of all you've achieved here <laughs> whereas there's this internal burning of frustration yeah um and we'd become the church to be which was never a moniker we actually wanted because mm. we were growing by raping other churches. That's what was happening, yeah. Yeah. you know, as, as often happens. So we we went on a sabbatical <laughs> and saying to God, okay, yeah, we whatever we do, we can't do the same again. It just doesn't work. Mm. And I think that's that's really where we started just seeking people out. And that yeah, sorry, carry on with where you were. 
No, I think that's really important. And God was very gracious in terms of connections with people. And, mm. and that's where we where we first kind of uh, got caught up with some of the stuff Mike Breen was doing back then and 3DM mm -hmm. and, and, and all of that, that kind of missional discipling family. And it began to open up to us just a whole way of looking at the life of Jesus where, where, where you kind of scarily go, why has no one talked about this yeah. since I been alive to me you know to us yeah. to any of us why why has no one talked like this about you know getting discipleship being put in the hands of ordinary people why has no one ever talked about the the power of community rather than a gathering why has no one talked about what it means to put mission as the primary catalyst and all of those things mm. i remember you know listening to some of these uh, uh kind of podcasts and talks from people that were wrestling with this and um, you know, you have these sort of little moments in your in, in, in your mind. I, I was at the top of a ladder outside our house trying to fix a, the bulb on a kind of safety, you know, one of these lights that come on when people walk past. And I, uh, I just like DIY, to say he's, he's yeah. not often on the top of a ladder. So that's, DIY, a rare, that's why it stuck out for him. Exactly. And DIY is not my greatest skill. And, and just, I can think, you know, you know, when it talks about on the road to Emmaus and their hearts were like on fire going, mm. gosh, this is amazing. And no yeah. one's talked like this before this is we're onto something here that's going to change the world so hmm. back to your original question about about where did it start i guess it started with us with a real deep-seated conviction hmm. that it should be different and that it could be different hmm. and if we had the courage to lead into that different space we would see different results hmm. and, and that that just began to open up it was it was not just you know a new part of the game it was like it opened up a new game yeah you know it suddenly it was a it was a whole new way um uh, a whole new way of, <laughs> of being and so we started to inspire people about missional vision and so on and uh, uh and one of our one of our guys uh, uh started having this vision about what would happen outside the church why don't you share some of that story Ke? yeah so we started for these kind of days where we just brought the church together called launch the lifeboats and started to kind of talk about some of the issues yeah. and within that saying uh, we're not blaming the church we've led this way just means they're actually mm -hmm. uh fessing up this is kind of what looked right but we're saying we're seeing something different so one of our guys at church um just felt God say to him one Sunday, just go and stand in the car park outside church. And he did. And he counted how many people walked past during the service. And he came back and said, do you know, how would you feel about me just serving coffee outside Sunday mm. mornings? We're like, great, go for it. That sounds amazing. And and that car park quickly became a place that was full, uh, full of um, a lot of homeless people, a lot of people with addiction, yeah. uh, a lot of need. But uh, people were quickly connecting with Jesus and with faith. I mean, and it's an interesting <laughs> thing. A lot of those wouldn't, you know, and people would talk about you start with this course. Well, yeah. actually, if people, are, if people are illiterate, you you kind of don't even start with the course, you know. Uh, so actually, for some of them, it was just helping them to learn to read, to learn to hear yeah. the scripture, those things. But one story that always sticks out for us is um, there was a man that lived near the church and the, the the guy offered a coffee to him and he said no, but the the 
the guy that was kind of leading this, people would, would describe him as looking like Jesus. You know, he had kind of long hair, beard, always wore sandals. He's British, so of course, with socks, which is never a great look, right? <laughs> but uh, as this man walked past, he just had this little thing in his head that said, Jesus just offered me a coffee. <laughs> now, he was a self-proclaimed atheist. So <laughs> he turned back round and went and had a coffee. And uh, we later saw him come to faith, be baptised, but we then saw him baptise people he brought to faith. Mm. And that was just an amazing moment of actually we we can do church in a different way. I mean, it, it created a lot yeah. of mess, which also created a lot of people leaving, if I'm yeah. honest. Uh -huh. There's, we quickly discovered issues of um, that we didn't know we would discover like we would need to put blue lighting in the toilets to stop people shooting up drugs during the service, mm. which, um, so actually some people started to react to, we like the idea of the least, the last and the lost, but yeah. we don't want to have to walk past them on our way into church. Mm. And the problem was for us, actually, we think that looks like Jesus. So we were just like, then honestly, be blessed to go to another yeah. church. So we repopulated another church. So, it was mission in a different way. But <laughs> I think within that, an amazing beauty grew and we needed to start thinking about our church as much more of a a public space, like a park. So in a park, mm. you wouldn't leave your handbag on a seat or your kid unattended because you don't know what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> You'd pay attention. And we needed to transition from church just being a safe place where it was the same people to church being an open space that wasn't as safe as it had been hmm. but man it did look like jesus wow hmm. and that uh, that was really a very a simple start and a simple change yeah um and but it, it's pretty uh pretty dynamic if you look let's just serve coffee out on the street during the service um, so you're looking at something that's actually a simple change, but a lot of people, yeah. when they're in your position where everything looks good on the outside, when you have growth and you know, things are big and there looks like there's a lot of life there, um, what are some ways for us to be able to take away the veil of which we are not actually seeing things the right way where we think we're seeing things one way but things are actually not working well um and it seemed like you guys were the only ones that were really struggling and wrestling with it i'm sure there were a few others as well but how do you get to the place where you go from one or two like maybe this is not the right thing um into more people saying oh you are right and it isn't the right thing and we need mm -hmm. to move forward I, yeah, I think that it's a that's a really uh, interesting question, and we've reflected on that over over the years. And I think God was super gracious to us. Um, so the two words that come to mind is both patience and then pace. So that the the first the first ten years or so, when we were reinforcing the problem of attractional church, although yeah. it did have the benefit of making us sustainable, yeah. um, that that wasn't there at the beginning. Um, because of that period of time, we'd love people through the death of their parents and we walked with people through tragedy and we journeyed closely with people. So there was an element of trust that there might, well, there would not have been if we'd simply rocked up mm. and said, hey, let's go this way, people. Yeah. So, 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 so the power of the relationship 
and the relational capital that we were building in those early years turned Mm. out to be super important for the journey. And we didn't realize that that's what we were doing at the time. We were just loving people and, you know, and, and, and trying to build community with them in the way that we best, we best knew. So that created for us a platform for the next culture shift that God was leading us into that we, that we couldn't see Mm. originally. And I think the second thing about pace is that we probably spent between 12 and 18 months sharing with the leadership and key stakeholders, probably for around 18 months before anyone would have seen anything above the surface. Mm. So there was a lot of there was a lot of um, plowing up the soil, so to speak, or sowing seeds, whatever metaphor you want to use of, of just helping people begin to reflect on, hey, this is the journey that we are on. And it was in it was, as, as Kerry was saying, really helpful that we had become part of the problem. We were complicit with it. We were we, we couldn't adopt the posture that said you're all wrong. This is what you should be doing. Right. We're like we, we, we think we're missing something yeah. here, and we, we've been the first among equals here as leaders of of missing it with you. Yeah. Let's discover something new together, mm. and and that posture I think created a trust and an openness. Mm. That when we were then able to say, hey, we're going to let so-and-so, you know, serve coffee in the car park, which would have seemed the most weirdest thing to to (laughs) people, you know, 24 months previous, go, oh, well, okay, go on then. Let's let's have a crack. And so it it created an environment that was very permission giving. Mm. So 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 can can I do? Yeah. Can I do? Can I have a go at? Yeah. Can I try? Yeah. And and so that Mm. created all sorts of chaos and mess and (laughs) disorientation Mm. for people. But it became a very permission giving mm. uh, posture, whereas I think traditionally churches have had, a, oh, that's going to cause me a lot of headache. No, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, we're not sure about that. Probably not. Some people mm. won't like that. No, mm. uh, we don't see the value of that yet. Mm, no. And, and so so I think we, we swept all that away and took the risk of being way too uh, positive in our yeses. Yeah taking the risk <laughs> at that point that God was up to something and, mm. and something would, would would come out of that. And that risk wasn't just actually in terms of um, like the car parking environment. As we talked about building community, it became much closer to home and we were encouraging people to build community around their homes and around their table, which is a very different dynamic to let's do something together at a certain time in the week in a yep. third place. So let's invite people into home and into the family and I think for us, the richest part of the journey was the people that we invited into our home and the way yeah. that that we, that we got to know people and journey with mm. people that had a huge impact on our on our children and their ability to disciple, you know, mm. their friends and seeing their friends come to come to faith uh, was was a beautiful part of that of that. As we build community wherever we are, it's going to touch our lives and not just our kind of professional mm. religious times you know um. I think that's been really interesting with the children because we watch them baptize their best friends and it kind of doesn't get better than that if I'm honest yeah. but yeah. but actually because you generate this culture of of kind of inviting people a mission and we're on it as a family uh, kind of I'm like yeah all in permission and we'd go on holiday then I'm like I'm done with people you know I want to be done and one of our kids would go and find people wherever we were staying that seemed lonely or mm. in not in a good place and go I've invited them to dinner because <laughs> that's what we do and I was like oh man he's right we've chosen this culture <laughs> but 
I just wanted like two weeks break. So it <laughs> yeah. was interesting that it became so natural for them mm. to do that. And they've all continued that as a way of life, building culture wherever they go of uh, kind of creating stuff around your table uh, mm. and doing it missionally. Yeah. And the table is really important as we're looking at uh, what it looks like. Is your not only now you're you're helping the the church discover what does it actually look like to to be missional and to be in a different space, but you're also then helping pre-believers discover what Jesus looks like uh, around a table, and that's the space yeah. where you could actually hear people's stories. That's the space yeah. where you you actually get to know people and what their needs are uh, on a deeper level than you just saying, "Oh, I know what your need is," and you do a project to meet somebody's need where you actually haven't sat around a table to hear yeah. what it is, is behind the problem. Um, and so it actually goes deeper than surface. And so that table is really important. And have you continued with that table? Yeah, I mean, obviously, COVID was a bit of a <laughs> yeah. a problem with that. But it, it, it is what we do where um, I think as we we've been in a season where um, as our kids have kind of formed their communities as well, we're rethinking how we all do that living in the same space. So that's mm -hmm. been really that's been a different challenge. Um, and but the table's always the most important place for us in terms of wherever we go, we try to be intentionally missional. Yeah. And so wherever we go, we're always inviting people in. That's 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 kind of the way we roll really. But I think what's been really interesting is the transition of firstly helping people to see the discipleship is not something you bring your friend to. And if a good sermon is preached, then, you know, hopefully they're going to come to faith. But actually discipleship's in their hands. The DNA has changed yeah. within, within the culture at church, but which has meant that now what it looks like is it's about us supporting their vision so it's a real change in direction whereas before it was like come and join us to do our thing mm. this event this thing it's now about you've got this vision how can we support you mm. so the whole kind of way it has changed within the culture um and so for us you know as our kids have formed their own communities it's been right how can we support you and therefore how can we readjust to where we are and what we're doing and all of that mm. so i think it's embedded within our own family culture but a church it's something that sense of we're supporting you in the thing that god has placed on your heart mm. is an is become embedded too that's that's really good so for you guys what does discipleship uh look like and what is a disciple that's a great question, isn't it? Yes. What does it just so so discipleship looks like inviting people into relationship with us so that they catch more than a taught the life of Jesus. So we talk a lot about the need for uh, relationships to go deep rather than wide. So people mm -hmm. will typically in church in our church culture would traditionally would have had kind of lots of relationships you know you know there there was an important value placed on i need to know everybody so why don't we mix up the groups every other week so we all get to know everybody now some people love that and some people yeah. hate that but the, but that that sense of if we're going to be united then we all need to know each other to going actually what the back to the jesus model he invited a few close mm -hmm. so for us discipleship is 
who are the people that God, so so for Simon and Kerry, forget the kind of Simon and Kerry leaders, Simon and Kerry as people, it's like, who are the who are the people that God is really laid on our uh, on our patch? Who can we really invite into relationship for the mm. medium to long term to see significant change in terms of journeying to Jesus with Jesus and 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 on with Jesus? And, and that I think is has both been again back to patience and pace both been kind of a uh, a different way of thinking about the impact and the influence that you have but it is the place where we've seen the greatest influence and get the greatest sense of gosh you know what what a what a thrill to be able to walk that journey with that person or those or those people and as part of that life on life it's about the things that the patterns and the rhythms that we embody being then you know expressed and lived out so you know some very simple examples of it early on that really would thrill our hearts so we would we would we would choose any and every moment to have a celebration so you know it's tuesday way <laughs> let's have thrill, thrilled it's tuesday yeah. you know or whatever day to you know it's 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 yay and uh, uh, and then particularly around an easy win was birthdays every birthday we're going to absolutely pull the stops out and do yeah. something and if it was in our if it was in our kind of home and in our environment we would always stop didn't matter who was there and just you know do the birthday singing the happy birthday thing and then hey this is a really precious moment we're going to pray for this person you know yeah. a few of us would, would pray and, and then just just those beautiful moments when you go somewhere else and someone else does that very simple thing and then there's this beautiful moment with someone else in another place where mm. they're getting prayed for on their birthday and and people are not yet of faith are listening in and going oh it's really moving that touched me you know mm. and stuff so so that that thinking about the way things are caught rather than the way things are taught I think became a became a, a a real transition for us. Yeah, because it would it's so it's so easy, or it, it was, it isn't anymore. But it's so easy to fall back on the these are the things I need to tell you about. Yeah, and of course that's the same with with, with people that haven't found faith, isn't it? People are paralyzed by these are all the things I have to tell my non Christian friend in order for mm-hmm. them to find faith. And we're kind of going, well, we're just going to love them. We're going to be friends with them. And, and wherever we go, be it the sailing club or uh, uh, wherever we spend dancing classes, wherever we spend our time, it's like we know that we will spend as much time, if not more time and more energy in the relating to those people than we do in the sailing or in the dancing. And that yeah. probably shows in the quality of our sailing and our dancing, actually. <laughs> Speak for yourself. But, but no. <laughs> I was, but you kind of got that mindset, haven't you, of, of actually what's going to make the difference. The only thing that's going to make the difference is relationships that are close enough and meaningful yeah. enough mm. for, for life on life to be, to be caught. Mm. And I think, I think it's really about a way of life, isn't it? Uh, it? Mission can't be something that's an add on. It's just got to be part of who you are. Mm. So every lens I go to into every space is there is a truth that my friends who don't know Jesus, I love my friends. I yeah. generally do. But actually, I know that every situation they bring to me that's a problem, the thing that could really change that would be Jesus. Yeah. So they're not a project, but if I love them and I love Jesus and I know that I've got the best thing for them, I want to show that and demonstrate yeah. that in my life, in how I live, in how I operate. And so I think it, it's mission has to be the life that you mm. live that is just the overflow of the relationship we have yourself with Jesus. Yeah. And you want to uh, 
so we were recently uh, at we were so our youngest son's a competitive sailor so in the spirit if you can't beat them join them we've <laughs> we've learned to sail um and so we were we do a lot of rescue boats and all sorts of things like that but we were at an event and our 16 year old was sat in the car with somebody else his age and we were just talking to some people who came up outside and he commented your parents are just really like really really good at talking to people but actually that's you know for them it's not the thing you do as much whereas actually we're going to just be Jesus shaped wherever we go and be interested and and uh lean into that sense of God's whisper and all of those things so I think mission for us looks like lifestyle and discipleship therefore it all has to be simple and replicable doesn't it for it to actually be caught they need to be near enough that they can see the difference jesus makes now carrie i would love for you to just to chime in a little bit of what it actually looks like to hear god's voice in the midst of a conversation with somebody where you're you're saying you're in that situation you're at uh, a competition you're meeting somebody that you actually realize that God wants to speak to them in a specific way. Uh, how can we hear God's voice for for that person and share it naturally in a conversation? Yeah, so uh, coming from the lens that obviously kind of in the sort of APES profile, profit is my strongest. So hearing God's voice is, is something I've kind of intentionally grown into, lent mm-hmm. into, dealt with. And I think the first thing is you... <laughs> you need to be leaning into God's voice for yourself in order to lean into God's voice for other people. Okay. Mm-hmm. So actually you need to be aware of if you're, if you can hear God, God's voice really clearly when it's quiet, what's the gentle challenge you can step into to start to lean into your God's voice when it's noisy, because yeah. you need that transition, that pivot point, don't you've been able to mm-hmm. hear God's voice in both places. So for me, um, I think it's about always being aware that God speaks all of the time. And uh, one of the biggest learnings for me was God speaks all the time, but am I always listening? Well, no. (laughs) Okay, so how am I going to change that? I'm going to be aware. And as I'm talking to the person, be just saying, hey, Father, internally, I'm here. Anything you want to say, I'm here. Trusting that the spirit of all truth lives within me. So I've learned to really understand how does God speak to me? God speaks to me very much through uh, instinct, gut feelings, but also through that kind of gentle whisper mm-hmm. um, or a picture. So I, if it's somebody that genuinely doesn't know Jesus at all, I, I would say, hey, there's this, this, this thought that's just come to me. Um, and if they don't know Jesus at all and I'm leaning into, okay, just share the thought, don't say it's Jesus yet. Yeah. I'll share the thought and if it's something that's really significant, it gets them to the point where they think they need me. Mm. But they don't need me, they need Jesus. If it's somebody I've been journeying with a bit longer, I would say something like, so I kind of, there's this voice in my head, which I've come to know as God. And this is what I've heard. I'm just offering it. You, You don't have to have it. You don't have to receive it. But what do you think about that? And and I've rarely had anyone ever really challenge that because by then I've built the relational capital. Yeah. And even if they think I'm a bit mad, <laughs> there, there's, <laughs> there's a reality that I'm not using words like, this is what God is saying, thus says the Lord. Yeah. I'm just saying the voice that I've come to know in my own life is God. Or if they ask me a question, it's that sense of going, I can only answer this through a lens of 
what I know God says to me. So that's the only lens I've got. So for me, it was really intentionally choosing to be aware that God speaks all the time and choosing to try to learn to do that in the quiet Mm. and in the noise. And then intentionally saying to God, okay, every time I'm going into a conversation, I, um, I want to be just conscious of your voice. So I'm, I'm coming intentionally asking you to speak. Mm. Often for me, I see it quite visually as well. I, I can just see kind of a pathway that the conversation needs to go. But that's something I've grown into, I guess, if that yeah. makes sense. And very instinctive mm-hmm. now. But it was intentionally, intentionally uh, going through a season of learning to hear God in stillness and in noise and saying to God, I'm available because I mm. think God loves those words, right? I'm available yep. and learning. What is it that stops me hearing God's voice? Mm. Busyness. That would still be one of those for me. So recently, uh, somebody uh, was in our house doing some work. And as I was leaving and I was rushing, you know, when you kind of leave yep. something to the last minute and then you're rushing and, uh, and they just said to me, Hey, I saw a book on your desk about neurotheology. What's that? And and I, you know, when you just like, oh, I could just go, oh yeah, yeah, I was just quite interested. Don't worry about it. I just heard God's whisper, stay still. You're going to be late. Tell them. Mm. And and I and I had that moment where I said to God internally, really, do I do I really have to do this? I don't. I, I do you not respect my schedule? <laughs> Clearly not. Um, so so I just lent in and explained and said, oh, you know, why are you asking? And we ended up having this amazing conversation where the lens they would have seen life through was would have been through um, much more kind of spiritual in a, I, I'll cleanse my house with herbs or I'll you yeah. know, do this sort of thing. And, and I was like, oh, so how I would see that would be through God. But that amazing conversation would not have happened mm. if I, A, hadn't learned to tune in in even through my rush or through the noise Mm. because god's voice has to cut through all the noise internally so what's the noise within your life that stops you leaning in and hearing god and when you do talk to people just remember that um church words are really weird (laughs) and god's voice can be the most simplest message can bring transformation so yeah. you don't need to make it sound fancy. You just need to, okay, what's the, what's actually the thing that God wants to say? Mm. I yeah. think that's helpful. That's really helpful. And it's helpful to actually look at it. What does it look like to have conversations with, with pre-believers? And what does it look like to go in there and hear God's voice? That's really helpful for, for everybody. You know, for both of you, you're, you're both doing some, some coaching in different uh, aspects uh, and some, what does it look like for, for culture change, uh, leadership? So for you and, and your community, since you are really coaching people where discovery is really important and pulling things out of people is really important instead of just being really directive, um, how does that impact and influence the, the discipleship culture uh, within your community, I think it, that's a, that's everyone a, yeah. gets everyone gets to play. I think is mm. the word I'd use. <laughs> Go on, Sai. Yeah, no, I mean that's a, that's a really good kicking off point. That uh, 
we recognize that what we are called to do is, is not bring things to people, but call out what God's already placed within them. And that's why we, we love 5Q and APEST and so on, and helping people to see the Jesus shape that is there in them and covering, uh, kind of pushing all the rubble away and the, the joy of when people see who they already are and therefore can step into becoming that is uh, is 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 really thrilling it's, it's life-giving to us as we see yeah. it but it's, it's certainly life-giving to uh to the people in in their moment i think what one of the one of the things around that whole culture is uh and it's true i think in terms of all that kerry was just saying about listening to god is to is to encourage people to adopt that posture of curiosity curiosity about themselves curiosity about what that makes you feel and think curiosity about uh, about the way they respond to situations because that for people is often the doorway into beginning to understand what jesus has placed within them so you know that encouragement all the time for people to be curious mm. be curious about themselves be curious about that conversation and what it made you feel and what you found out and actually for some people that'll be the access way into hearing god speak or to to a fresh revelation yeah uh, as as you begin just to move through through the rubble and instead of just accepting things the way they are that that the the, the questioning around curiosity and just moving moving some of that rubble presuppositions assumptions and stuff out the way mm -hmm. helps people really discover who they are and uh, uh, and so the apes journey particularly has been so important for us in helping people frame what jesus has placed in them Mm -hmm. And that's a, a very precious thing and has really helped us lean into a, a value uh, piece about we absolutely need each other and everyone gets to play. And there isn't, you know, a few people on the stage and other people paying to put them there or cheering them on while they do the work there. But we're all uh, we're all on the stage, as it were. And uh, and it needs all of us to bring that Jesus shape uh, together. Mm. And I, I think that's been that's yeah. been a lovely discovery that empowers everybody and helps everybody to find their place mm -hmm. and helps us to really value people when they're different to us. Because yeah. they might well be very different to me, but if they've got a different part of the Jesus shape, then I can't dismiss it. I can't rubbish it. I can't ignore it. I can't decide. I'm, I don't want to be like them. I need to embrace what God has placed within them. And there's a, there's a huge depth of discovery in that, in that journey. I think in any church setting, the wisdom's in the room, isn't it? It's not the stage on the stage. And that's what we've been taught originally. You know, it yep. was the, the kind of pastor teacher on the stage. But actually, so for us, every single person in our community is 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 God shaped. And actually, we want to call out what's there and we want to help them see what blocks it from being there. So in discipleship, we're always encouraging them, okay, what's God saying? What are you going to do about it? Uh, those, those are the two questions we are always asking. And we're always asking, and who are you passing this on to? Actually, you can apprentice mm -hmm. somebody. There's always the ability, even the most simplest thing, you can pass that on. So actually, the, 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 the permission for people to both have a go and fail, but actually to have to recognize that what's God already placed in your hands that you can use, what's he calling and how's he calling you to use it, I think is really essential in discipleship, both when you have faith and before faith, because many people even, um, you know, on the journey to faith just don't fully know who they are. And you can start to call out that Jesus shape that you see in them. 
yeah. uh, before they before they come. So one of one of my friends who's would say she's an atheist, but we're moving. She now asked me to pray for stuff, right? So I think that's great. That's a movement. But when she comes to faith, I can see she's going to be the most amazing evangelist because yeah. whatever it is, she evangelized it. Mm. So I, I kind of, I, I joke with her about that and just say, do you know, one day when you come to love Jesus like I do, you're going to tell everyone <laughs> because you already do that for everything else. But actually, you can call things out in, in mm. people before they come to faith. Yeah. And I think that kind of coaching stance helps that, yeah. just observing and joining the dots up for people of, of leaning to the spirit, what do you see and, yeah. and how can you use that? Yeah. I mean, we could go... I mean, all day in these conversations, uh, we don't have time That's to go great. all day, but <laughs> it would be fun. Um, but, you know, I, there's a few things that I'd love to get into. One would be like, what do you think was your like one or or two most important shifts and changes that you made to move people forward? Uh, I think the, the first the first significant shift was the the reality that everyone needs to play and therefore the dna of discipleship making that potential was in everybody and and we needed to unlock it mm. and actually what we were doing wasn't unlocking it it was just holding on to a system that actually disempowered people rather than empowered them mm. so the, in that sense that was the biggest i think cultural shift and that's you know has all kinds of expressions like the wisdoms in the room and everyone gets to play and and so on but but at its core it was the belief that we all carry the DNA of Jesus within us and we can all be part of the Jesus movement and, and we've got all that we need. And that sense of releasing people, not to come and, and be and support our vision in some way, but just to say, how can we empower you in your vision where God has already placed you with the people already around you? Uh, we want to cheer you on there and enable you to be the church in the people with the people in the places where God has, has put. So that I think was that was the biggest cultural shift that undergirded the, the the whole thing. I think the second probably most significant shift we're 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 already we're already in, but it's a long way from being completed. And that's what does it mean to be more deeply incarnated in the community so we're uh at the kind of third season that god's calling us into that we're uh well we're in but it's just the beginnings of is about how can we how can we really co-create with people around us in the community enough confidence in the gospel to yeah. deeply incarnate ourselves in partnership with other people and and so rather than um, perpetuate any sense of provider clients or any sense of superiority literally be right among in the midst in the neighborhood um, and we've been we've been just amazed recently at the way that local government and other kind of statutory bodies have, have, have flung wide their doors to those kind of conversations and partnerships in a way we've never known so we're, mm. we're kind of super excited about that next level of of incarnation really and I think that for us is the natural extension. But it is, again, another another significant shift, because even even if it's in your church or in your home or in your car park, it's still it's still a bit more yours. Yeah. So we're looking at what does it mean to build a space and to create an environment that generally isn't ours in terms of ownership and and, and gets gets rid of all of that kind of barrier and stuff to the gospel. So uh, we're just beginning to. To, to to get excited and, and see things happen in that space and God's opening relational doors and, awesome. and stuff at the moment. 
And I think also within that, there there's a, um, so I guess three things I would say. One is that uh, of, of standing firm. So when, when you make culture change, it's about accepting you're going to make a mess <laughs> okay so you've got to you've got to stand and hold your nerve and you've got to you've got to lead strong in those moments the same we understand this feels a mess we understand but actually this is the greener pasture we're leading to so so actually the that that was a shift of just completely going because it, it's there's everything in you wants to fix the mess don't you trust me yep. make it look pretty mm -hmm. but we're like no no we're going to hold our nerve on this it is a mess and it's going to get messier before it gets prettier and that's okay um i think another one of those would be kind of the journey of of owning we're we're, we're a church that's about celebration and community it's yeah. it's both it's not one or the other so we're we're gonna own both and we're gonna um, within the culture of that, the shift of that, tread the balance of that. It might mean that celebration doesn't look quite as good as it used to, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and it might mean that you can't see all the community connections that you used to. We can, we see it all, so we need to communicate that well. But actually, we need to do both of those well. It is, I think, a significant shift. But another real shift is uh, of moving people from oughts and got tos to this is what I get to do as part of God's kingdom. Mm. And I think that's a huge shift that's happening mm. and happened. Um, and the the muscle memory strong, right, of ought within church life. And we're always coming up against it and, and, and saying that's not what we're trying to build. There's mm. this adventure God's calling you into that you get to be part of. And we want to support you in that. There's no ought. We don't want you to have to do anything. We want you to do it because you get to do it. Yes. And I think that's been a really big shift um, for us. That that actually gives the it, <laughs> that actually gives the freedom and the patient permission to do things like co-create yep. a space for your community that's not just ours that mm -hmm. we're giving away um, because actually we all get to be part of this adventure. Mm. That's so good. Uh, if you guys could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? <laughs> Dress better. No. <laughs> like that. You, 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 can, you, you can speak for yourself now. I look, I look cool when I was 21. Awesome. So we do, we do regret the matching outfit phase, definitely. Uh, <laughs> Do you know, I think the advice would be actually at, at the end of the day, you need external people to keep as a leader, to keep your heart from in a mm. soft place and from being cynical and from getting truly bruised and uh, to help and challenge you, keep shaping your own discipleship mm. with Jesus and that you can't do this alone and actually you just have to surrender. Just surrender it all and it's going to be a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> Keep surrendering, there's going to be a lot easier. I think that's what I would tell myself. What about you, Sai? Um, I guess it's a, it's a, it's another reflection on something similar to that. But, uh, and it sounds a cliche, doesn't it? But to pursue intimacy with God at all costs. Mm. Yeah. That, that, that's where the life is. That's where the sustainability, the resilience is. That's where the healing comes from. That's where the uh, faith for adventure comes from. And uh, we will do almost anything, typically as human beings, and to pursue that intimacy with Jesus. And uh, uh, and and that, and I guess, I guess, 
I wish that training and formation and early leadership experiences had taught us to pursue that intimacy in a way we had to probably discover along the way rather than it being the bedrock of what we were about. We were mm. taught a shed load of things, but we weren't taught to be intimate with Jesus. Mm. And, and, and and I guess that's what we long for our kids and for our younger generation that above yeah. all else, they, they get that early, you know, and it's lovely when they say things that, gosh, uh, I wish we knew that when we were their mm. age, you know, yeah. because they've capt- captured the essence of it. And uh, yeah, that's that's I think what I'd say. And the only thing I would say would be pause, the important pause in everything you do in leadership. Mm. Nothing has to be hurried. You've got to get, you know, you need the. I always say you need the space to get the grace to set the pace, and I think that's what I would have taught myself. Mm -hmm. I would have saved myself some heartache. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's great. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything you guys have been reading or watching lately you could recommend? So we're reading a book, which is, um, it's kind of, we're reading it slowly. It's called the, I'll probably get the name wrong. Have you got, can you remember the the, 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 the sound of unspeakable Speakable beauty. And mm. um, it's a book that was translated from German uh, into English. And it's by, it's an older book who, and it's, the journey of a luthier, so basically a violin maker, and he takes every stage of the making of a violin and kind of translates it into uh, into our relationship with God. And it, it's a book that creates space. So it's quite different stuff we might have read, but actually, as we're valuing it a lot together because it it does that thing called pause. Mm. It makes you. So we'll read a little bit, tiny bit of it, not even a whole chapter. Sometimes you think, I just need to, I just need to think about that for a minute because the way he's put that is quite picturesque and poetic and beautiful, and I just need to lean into what God might want to say. Hmm. So I, I've been really enjoying that. How about you? Yeah, Stein? no, me too. Loving that. Um, I'm also on a second round of um, uh, John Aldridge's Resilient mm-hmm. uh, book at the moment, and I think what uh, he's again going back to what i was saying about pushing into intimacy you know there's some kind of helpful reflections and tools and just journey there to help people take the pause that that kerry's talking about reflect on where we are out of covid and 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 so on and i'm finding that super helpful for myself super helpful in in sharing with with others as as well so yeah and what's 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 the app that with that connected with yeah, that, yeah, there's, a, the, there's the, the 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 pause, pause app, app, isn't that's there? It. That's the pause app with that, that, yeah. that people have been. In fact, just taking some of the simple principles that he's talking about and just helping people take the pause, you know, yeah. um, get get honest with God, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and and learn what it is to surrender. Love and it. I think those are just, just, yeah, they're just the fundamental lessons of this whole thing, and they can so easily be missed in all the stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's funny isn't it I yesterday or the day before I was looking for a book and I went down to the to the cellar here where I ran below my office and there's hundreds and hundreds of books that I dumped there so that I could have a nice clear space to work in <laughs> and I was wading through and I was thinking gosh the amount of hours and energy that people have put in talking about all sorts of stuff and it's not that it's bad or wrong yeah. some of it's brilliant and insightful and amazingly helpful but at the end of the day, if you're not connecting into Jesus, you, you're gonna, you, you're never gonna make it. You, you know, it's in that sense, and you know, and I, I know that sounds so trite on one level, but it's so true in another, yep. in another reality. Very, very true. I've just started John Mark Homer's uh, uh, "Live No Lies" as well, which yeah. I'm enjoying so far. 
Yeah. I had to wait until everyone else in my family had read it. So I was kind of <laughs> the bottom of the pile. And ev- I'm the fastest reader. So, you know, I've had to wait a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I, I yeah. love that one. Uh, where can people connect with you guys uh, and, and what you're doing? Anything that you would love to, to get out there? So uh, Accessible Privacy UK, you can just find us on social media or um, uh, or Instagram or Facebook. And uh, we're always kind of putting free events on as well as paid events. We're doing lots of stuff at the minute around with hearing God as a creative, what it means to be a creative and to use that and to connect to God's voice. That's really interesting. And we're about to start some work on uh, what it means to be a prophet in the marketplace. So right. actually in, in kind of in business world, that sort of space. So that, that would be quite interesting. Yeah. And we've got some, some work coming up as well about helping people in the workplace in terms of discipleship, mm. uh, both in terms of helping churches take seriously discipleship in the workplace, as well as helping disciples get the, you know, a, a renewed sense of, oh my word, God's put me here for a purpose that's yeah. bigger than just the money or whatever, you know, the purpose uh, and so on. So some, some work around, around that. We're also involved in the five Q world. Some, Kerry's just finished a PQ cohort. Um, I'm about to start an accelerator for apostles. I guess the simplest way to get in touch with us is with Simon or with Kerry, C-E-R-I, at burlington.church. I mean, that might not be the email that's appropriate for whatever those different channels are, but but you can find us in those yeah. simple simple places and, and we can connect. And, uh, and we're, we're going to be running a leadership right. course next, this time next autumn, ah, so in yes, the UK are, as well, which is going to be quite a holistic style leadership course in terms of giving your soul rest as well as helping mm. you strengthen your leadership. So. Amen. Yeah. You need it. Well, Sai and Carrie, thank you so much. It was a fantastic conversation. I wish we could actually extend it uh, and talk some more because it's uh, fascinating. So thank you for walking us through some different culture shifts uh, that you have gone through that I think will be really helpful for a lot of people. So thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank pleasure. you. Enjoy it's been time. great. Yeah, thanks very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.